you would, take your Bibles with me and open them to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 13. I was really sitting there this morning debating on going to another text that I've been preparing. But I studied all week for Luke 13 and believe the Lord is sovereign and has this passage for us for a reason on this particular day. The truth of the text that we come to look at in Luke 13 is that it's a sobering and difficult passage of Scripture. If you're looking for an encouraging text, uh, this might not be the one you go to. If you're in the middle of a heartache or, or suffering, this might not be the one you uh, open, flip open and begin to meditate on and memorize. And yet, although it's sobering and although it's difficult and sometimes hard to bear, it has a wonderful, wonderful message to it. On the surface, it's, it's going to maybe punch at us a little bit, but by the end, I hope we see the beauty of God's grace. Before I get into the text, though, I want to tell you a story. Um, I'll just pick one time that this happened in college because there were multiple times this happened in college. And some of you who knew me in college, you're probably a little nervous about what I'm about to say. But I was in, um, I don't know, my second year of college or something, and a lot of my friends from school went here. And one night, a, a guy I grew up with uh, all throughout high school and childhood, uh, we were uh, messing around playing basketball at the Wellness Center here at, on campus. And uh, we left, and, and it was just a normal, ordinary night. And I remembered on the way out of the parking lot, I was driving my vehicle, he was in his, that... I uh, had something else I needed to tell him before he left tonight, that night. And so I, I'm pulling out of the parking lot, and I'm going to go to his house and share this information with him real quick. And I actually happened to see his car pull out onto the street in front of me. And so I, I'm chasing him down, and I'm honking, and I'm flashing the lights. It's nighttime, and uh, he doesn't stop. So we come to the first stop sign, uh, and he, he goes through. And I'm thinking, well, he's just not paying attention. So now that I'm on Davis, I, it's four lane, I need to get next to him and honk and flash my lights and yell at him. So I, I did that, I pulled up next to him and rolled down my window and I was yelling, pull over, pull over, and he wasn't listening to me. And so we come to the next stop sign, still nothing, and by that time I, I think he's just being annoying. And so I begin to yell louder and I say, roll your window down or I'm going to make you pull over. By the next stop sign, the individual rolls down the window and it's this terrified woman. Just back up against her door and she has just got this look of horror on her face. What's this strange guy going to do to me? And all I could think in that moment was to say, hi, and then drive off. And so that's what I did. I said, hi, and I drove off and left her in, in fear. Now I share that story to say, there are a lot of times in life, maybe not to that extreme, but there are a lot of times in life where we make mistakes, right? We're, we're misguided, uh, we make assumptions that aren't correct, there's misconceptions all throughout our lives, uh, we often get things wrong. I wish I could say that was the only time that happened to me, 
but there are several people who work at Walmart that are terrified of me now and other places around Weatherford where I've done that exact same thing. And that's just to go to show you that I make mistakes. We make mistakes. We misplace ourselves in situations and make misjudgments about people. Well, there is, as you can imagine, and as we come to look at in Luke chapter 13 this morning, there is no worse case of that than when a person mistakes their relationship with Jesus. We have um, false relationships or we make false assumptions about people we think we know or, or don't know in this world. And, and those things just kind of go back, go behind us and we go on and, and they're part of our past and we laugh at them now. But the reality is we live in a world where a lot of people have a false relationship with Jesus. And there is no worse mistake that could ever be made than that one. Than when a person thinks they're right with God, and in reality, they're far from God. You guys know my heart. You know I have a great passion and a great fear that there are many who think they're saved, and they are not saved. And I think one of the greatest dangers in the church today is false assurance of salvation. Especially in the world that we live in, in the context of our time and location where churches are abundant. And most people we encounter in the world and in our community have heard elements of the Gospel. They've heard Jesus' name. And a lot of people, even in our own families, think they're right with God because they've prayed a prayer or they've read their Bible consistently or they've attended a church or been a member of a church and they're going to wake up in eternity and they're going to find Luke 13 to be true of their life. They're going to be mistaken. And they'll realize in that moment, that permanent moment, that what they thought was true about themselves and Jesus was totally wrong. Totally wrong. And unfortunately, church, Scripture makes this reality clear many times over. God would have us know the truth about salvation. And the truth is, many people will get it wrong. It's the most important message, the message of salvation in Christ, the most important reality and truth that humanity could ever know, and the vast majority of the people in the world that have lived and are living and will live will get it wrong. And they'll be mistaken. As we study Luke 13, we know the truth of it. In fact, let's just read it. And we'll come back and begin to address it. Look in Luke 13, verse 22. Luke writes and he says, Jesus went on His way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to Him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And He said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. I cannot help but to think that that text of Scripture will be mostly true in the United States. And mostly true in the Bible Belt. And mostly true in Weatherford. And likely true in our church. People will think they know Christ to be rudely awakened on the day of eternity to find out they do not know Christ. This text of Scripture in Luke 13, church, it is no less true today than it was when Christ spoke it. No less true. People feel the planet today, feel our neighborhoods today, feel our churches today, thinking they know Jesus, thinking they walk with Jesus, but they merely associate with Him. They merely toy with Christianity. It's more of a habit. It's more of a hobby. Whole hearts aren't devoted to Christ. What if that's you? What if that's us? Toying with Christ. Just merely associated with Jesus. Not actually belonging to Him. Walking with Him. Luke 13 is... Just as important today as it's ever been. What a, what a fearful reality that Christ teaches here. What a fearful truth. Not merely just a possibility, but an actual reality. An actual truth that there are going to be many people, as He says in verse 24, for many, I tell you, will have a false assurance of being right with God. My prayer has been that this text will perhaps waken people up to reality. And just maybe they'll hear and see and believe the Gospel for the first time today. My other prayer has been that maybe, just maybe, this text would finally spur within us who are sure of our salvation in Christ an urgency to make the reality of the Gospel known. Make it clear to those who are around us who are confused. I've been preparing this message for a few weeks now, intending to preach it last week, but was unable. And over the last couple of weeks, Larry has asked me because he knows I've been excited and passionate about this truth and this reality. He's asked me, Are you excited to preach this text? And I said, No but I am eager and hopeful. 
that the Lord will use it. Because this reality cannot be ignored. Look back into verse 23. Jesus is asked by some individual, we're not told who, but He's asked this question, and this is the first point that we're going to consider as we consider the, the truths concerning salvation. The question is, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now in the time of Christ, and even today, opinions abound about that question and that subject matter. Everybody wanted to know the answer to that in Jesus' time. That, that was a common uh, question in the synagogue to the rabbi. Will those who are going to be saved be few? Even today, that question is constantly being asked and opinions are constantly being given to try to understand some truth of salvation. We, we hear it in the church, don't we? People are out there today wanting to make the Gospel inclusive to everybody. Reality is it's not inclusive to everybody. It, it does matter what you believe. It does matter what your convictions are. It does matter if you come to God through Christ in faith. Some people in the church even today want to deny the existence of hell. How can a loving God condemn anybody? Some people want to make salvation out to be universally applied to every single person. That Christ was strong enough on the cross to die for everyone's sin and that He was. And so therefore everybody will be saved. But that is not what Scripture says. Opinions vary even about this, this subject today. And so Christ's answer given in verse 24 is incredibly applicable to us. Look in verse 24 what He says. He doesn't give a direct answer, but the author of salvation does explain the nature of salvation. He says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. Many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. You go on to verse 25. Once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And He will answer, I do not know where you come from. The first point of the text is few will be saved. Few will possess the salvation of God. Notice the language Christ uses here. The word strive in verse 24. The Greek word actually means strive as in an athletic contest or as in battle, combat. It's not a, a, an easy or a lazy word that Christ uses. Strive, He says. Work diligently. Labor to enter through the narrow door. That's the other part we want to consider. Look at how He describes possessing salvation. Entering through a narrow door. I've gained weight since I've been married. Some places are easier to squeeze in than others. And that's what we can... We can Picture in our mind here a narrow, tight entrance. And Jesus says, labor diligently. Put forth the effort. Work to enter the tight, narrow door. Floods of humanity go down the path of least resistance. That is not the path of the Gospel. The path of least resistance is broad. It's wide. 
and its end is destruction. The path that is the path of life is narrow, difficult, and requires diligent effort. Why is that? Because the path that's narrow requires self-denial, taking up your cross, self-sacrifice. It requires a constant life battle of denying the sin that is in you, renouncing and repenting of that sin. If you want to follow Jesus, it's not easy. Look at what else he has to say in verse 24. Essentially, the last sentence in verse 24, he says, even desire isn't enough. Because look, he says, many will seek to enter and will not be able. Does that strike your heart as shocking a little bit? I mean, here are many people who are desiring to go to heaven. They have the longing. They have the want. They're going to be banging on the door in, in this analogy and illustration Christ uses. They, they hammer at the door trying to get in. They long for it. And Christ says they're not going to be able to enter. It's difficult language. The door is narrow. It requires striving, diligent work. Desire isn't enough. And notice, time is limited. Because at any moment, verse 25, the master of the house may rise and shut the door and then it's over. Then it's over. The questioner, whoever he may have been in verse 23, perhaps was hoping that Christ would relax His standards of salvation and discipleship. Maybe if I ask Jesus, He's shown a lot of compassion to people. He's shown a lot of mercy. He's been very patient with the people around Him. Maybe He will relax the requirements of following God. Jesus doesn't relax them in the least. Strive to enter the narrow door. Desire's not enough. Your time is limited. How many people do we know think that they'll postpone their relationship with Christ to a later date? I'll put off full commitment to Jesus to another time. The reality is, at any moment, the master of the house has the authority and the right to stand up and shut the door. And when he does, it's shut for eternity. This salvation, according to Christ, belongs to very few people. Just by the language that he uses, he, he doesn't answer again the question directly. He uses it as a, as a teaching opportunity. And just by what he's teaching in verse 24 and 25 alone, we know what the answer to the question is. Few will be saved. Few will give their heart to Christ in faith. This isn't a universal salvation. It is universally applicable, but not universally applied. It's universally available, but not universally given. It's an exclusive salvation. It's a salvation that's determined and executed by the Master. 
We don't determine this salvation. We don't define this salvation. We don't execute it or secure it. It's not instituted by us. This salvation belongs solely to the master of the house. We are nothing more than the needful benefactors. He is the sovereign executor. It's all His choice. You notice down into verse 25, He makes the ultimate choice. After He has shut the door, He says, you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and then He will answer you. I do not know where you come from. He is the final determining factor of all who enter through the narrow door. And He Himself says it will be few. But that's not for lack of patience, is it? Second Peter chapter 3 verse 8 and verse 9, Peter says, but do not do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, His promise of returning, as some count slowness, but instead He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's not for lack of patience that God shuts the door. In fact, and a gentleman named James Edwards comments on this text and he says this. He says, this passage is a passage of lament. The Master opens the door and He holds it open, longing for the people to enter. And finally, to those who hang around the door but refuse to enter, He declares, I don't know you. Away from me, all you evildoers. How many of us and how many people do we know are hanging around the door and only want to enter once it's closed? Few will be saved. By God's grace, the reality of heaven and His kingdom is that it's going to be full of forgiven sinners. Transformed, redeemed, and regenerated sinners. But the number of us, church, will be few. But this does not impair our evangelism, does it? If it impairs your evangelism, then you have a false application of the text. A passage like this should make us strive for evangelism. Strive to share the Gospel with those around us. Work diligently. Labor at it and sacrifice for it. If you don't have a passion for the many to at least hear the good news of Christ, then you have a sick soul. A broken heart. And you are not yet conformed to the love and compassion of Christ. Pray to God that He conforms us more, that He sanctifies us more so that we have a heart for the perishing like He does. This is not a wonderful truth of God to share. He does desire all to reach repentance. 
But reality is many will reject. And this text should drive us to more diligent, committed, and intentional evangelism with those around us. Move quickly, church, in sharing with your family members. Move quickly in sharing with your co-workers. And do not buy the lie of the enemy that shame will be accompanying you or rejection will follow you. Who cares? Who cares? Second point of this text is not only that few will be saved, but on the flip side of the coin, many will be mistaken. And that seems redundant to say, but it's it's actually important to say because there's a distinction I want to make here. It's not just that many will be lost. It's that many will be confused. And that's a big, big difference. Because many we know will be lost. What Jesus is stressing in this text is there are going to be many people who thought they were saved and are not. They're confused about the Gospel. They're confused about walking with Christ. They're confused about their assurance for eternity. It's not outright rejecting. It's not the people we find in this text. We're not finding atheists in this passage. We're finding people who thought they were spiritually alive and they're not. Look again at verse 25. Their response to the master of the door Uh, shutting the door, is Lord open to us. Then in verse 26, Jesus says, you're going to say, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. They're going to have answers. They're going to make claims. And how many people will stand before Christ in the end being shut out? And the excuses will abound. And the reasoning will abound. Why should you go through the narrow door? We ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. Lord, open to us. We thought we knew you. We had good intentions. We had good motivations. We tried really hard. Did you notice the severe language again in these few verses? of what Christ is saying to describe these people. He says you're going to stand outside and knock. You're going to be removed. He's going to he says the the truth is the master will not know you. Stressing the importance of being known by Christ. Are you known by Christ? Because that's what matters in the text. Not these people knowing Jesus. Jesus knowing them. He says, the Master will not know you. Then the other word, language, depart from me. Verse 27. All you workers of evil. Look at how they're classified. Look at the final language of the Master. This is, this is the final answer. He's already said it once before. I don't know you. Depart. They make a reasoning of why they should be let in. And then the final word is the same thing. Depart from me. I don't know you. He says in that place, here's what your consequence is. Verse 28, weeping and gnashing of teeth. He makes it personal. 
at the end of verse 28, you yourselves will be cast out. Christ isn't mincing words, is He? He's laying out the sober reality of what some people will experience because they're confused about what it means to be saved. They don't have it right. These words, when we put them together, they depict a person who is on the outside looking in in a destitute place. They're helpless. They're begging. They're realizing that the option is no longer available to them. It's a place of of realized exclusion from all the blessings of God. Again, these are people who thought they were associated with Jesus. Affiliated with His teachings. But they've never followed Him as Lord. Look at their actions. What we learn about their language is that pleading with the Master once He shut the door, pleading doesn't secure your entrance. We learn that right theology doesn't secure your entrance. Notice how they address Jesus in verse 25. Lord, open to us. The same language as the disciples. Same language as you and I as we use about Christ. They didn't call Him rabbi. They didn't call Him teacher like the Pharisees or scribes who deny His divinity. They call Him Lord. Right theology didn't save them. Proximity didn't save them. Didn't we eat and drink in your presence? We shared meals with you. We were close. We spent time around you. The Master says proximity doesn't gain you entrance. Ethnicity doesn't gain you entrance. You were in our streets. You were in our territory, our country. You were around our people. I was born in a Christian nation, in a Christian family, in a Christian community. We prayed at her football games. There were Bible verses in the newspaper. We were Christian people. The Master says that doesn't secure your entrance. None of these things changed their stature before the Master. The only thing that changes your stature before the Master is the Master Himself. Faith in Him. Faith in Christ. The work and the person of Jesus. Church, this is a fearful text for me. Because I think I know too many people who will give the same reasons for their entrance into the kingdom. And they will remain shut on the outside. Not one of their reasonings in this parable is pertaining to Christ Himself saving them. It's all about what they've done to Him. We were around you. You taught in our streets. The answer will be the same. Depart from me. 
Oh, I hope that we don't turn a callous and deaf ear to a text like this. What a tragic loss to be warned with this passage and to not heed the warning. A text like this deserves sober reflection, self-examination. It, it deserves humiliation, humbling ourselves before the text and pleading with God, confirm in my heart, let your spirit bear witness with my spirit, the book of Romans, that I'm a child of God. Demands our self-reflection. We know this, this will be true of people who are in, in false religions, false cults, and in our day and age, people who pursue a form of spirituality. But what I'm trying to stress this morning, and I hope we're understanding, is this will also be people who are in the church today. Not just the people in distant lands who follow a false god. Not just the people in other parts of the world and other parts of our country who are following a cult leader. This will be people who sit in Bible-believing, Gospel-preaching churches. They will not and are not willing to relinquish all things to Christ and trust in Him alone. And like those of false religions, and like those in the false cult, and like those who pursue some Gnostic form of spirituality, they too will be shut out. Too many people put too much stock in their religious efforts. It's not just that many will be lost, it's that many are confused. And they think they can attain salvation in some other way than what the Bible says. And it will not happen. We thought we would be good with Jesus if we ate and drank in His presence. If we spent time around Him. We thought we'd be good with Jesus if we listened to His teachings and tried to follow His Word as He taught in our streets. We thought we'd be good with Jesus if we had a good understanding of who He was and respected Him by calling Him Lord. That's not what it takes to be saved. Church, many people need the truth. Clearly proclaimed to them. We need to uphold the truth clearly proclaimed here. That's why every week we try to stress the Gospel because it would be foolish to think some here today aren't unbelievers. There are unbelievers here who fit this description. And we encounter people each and every day of our lives that think they belong to God and they need the Gospel clearly explained and applied to their lives. Because many, many are confused. Not just lost. Confused. Now wrapping up here, there is actually some very good news in this text. In fact, it's beautiful news. After Jesus talks about verse 28, the reality of the punishment for those who are outside of the door, 
we, they're in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and apparently conscious of what's taking place in the kingdom because they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but they know that they're cast out. After that, he immediately follows up with verse 29. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Here's the reality, the three realities of salvation we get from this text. Few will be saved, many will be confused, but all are welcome. That's the good news of this passage. Everybody is welcome. God isn't playing favorites. He's not discriminating. Look at the language in verse 29. He covers all parts of the globe, east and west and north and south. It's all-encompassing. Grace will be on display in the kingdom of God. Though there will be few in it comparatively to the world, all are welcome. Doesn't matter nationality, ethnicity, economic status, uh, social status, none of that matters before God. People from all over will be there. The nations often represent Gentiles in Scripture. And that's what he's getting at. All the nations will be represented. Even Gentiles will be welcomed in to the kingdom of God. God's grace knows no bounds as it pertains to those who come to Christ in faith. And they will come and they will recline at the table. It's a picture of relaxation, of comfort, of unity and of of provision and of joy and abundance. It's a feasting celebration. It's a family. It's a picture of security and safety. A picture of being cared for. And everyone there understands the one singular reality. We are there by mercy alone. We are there because the King of the Kingdom cared to save. Cared to humble Himself and cared to give Himself and didn't discriminate against who He would allow in. We all come from different places in the world at different times with different backgrounds, but we all have the one same Savior. A truth like that inspires confidence. In Christ, confidence in evangelism and sharing the gospel, hope for the future. We have a God who is willing to save church and willing to forgive anyone who comes to Him. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. In the light of such difficulty that few will be saved, most people will be confused, we have this glimmer of grace and mercy and beauty that Jesus will save even the worst of the worst if they come to Him. And those who come to Him will be secured forever reclining at table with Him. What a loving Savior. My hope again has been that some of us, some of you will recognize where you fall in this text. 
Because this may be a description of you. It's a description of some in here and many outside. And hopefully by looking at verse 29, you'll realize we do still have a loving Savior and and the promise of salvation is universally available and you can today, while the door is still open, be saved. By God's grace, the Master hasn't shut the door yet. It is still wide open. Strive to enter the narrow door. Come to Christ and do the hard work of confessing sin and letting go and trusting in Jesus. And for those of us who know that we will be reclining at table in the kingdom of God, let's be passionate about taking the gospel to the east and the west and the north and the south and clarifying the reality of salvation for those who are confused and laboring diligently that the few may be saved and assured of that salvation. That's our calling, our great calling. Don't lose heart in a text like this. Take hope at the end of this passage that any and all can be welcome if they come to Christ, including yourself. Lord, this is a weighty text for us. We would be wrong to ignore it. It would be a grave error, God, to discard this truth and to think it doesn't apply to us. It demands serious self-reflection. God, it's hard to communicate a truth like this. To know that there is a great percentage, there's a great chance that some of the people I love so dearly are described in this text right here. Lord, I I don't know how to get that across. I don't know how to convey that truth. I don't know how to implore the hearts of your people. I don't know. God, I don't know that I can do that. I'm I'm pleading with you, Lord, right now that you would put the weight of this text on our hearts Right now. God, forget all formalities and forget time and and all that we're used to. God, put the weight of this text on us now. Burden us with this truth. Break us over the reality of this text that there may be some among us and there are certainly some around us in this very community and in our very families who are totally confused about being saved. This this can't sit well with us, Lord. 
and I can't touch their hearts with it. I can't even communicate it adequately. Would you please make this alive before us and reality to us? God, I know it's not a fun text to listen to. I know most people want to come to church to be encouraged, but Your Word warns us. I just can't bear the thought, Lord, of someone in our church family being so mistaken and not realizing it to the day of eternity. This text doesn't allow us to go casually by through religious actions. It doesn't allow us to get stuck in the rut of what we always do. It makes us look at our hearts. It makes us confess our sins. It makes us fall before You and plead for mercy. I thank You that You still have the door open right now. That the lost among us and in our community may be saved still. I'm thankful that Your grace is strong enough and Your love and patience never run dry and that You save to the uttermost parts of the world and to the wickedest, wicked of the, of the wicked, the worst sinners can still be forgiven. There is hope. But not, Lord, if, if this text doesn't touch our hearts. Break us over these rocks of reality till we come broken and contrite and humble before You, understanding the weight of this reality. Jesus, it's in Your hands. Do what only You can. In Your name, Amen.